Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, friends, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your hosts, Martha and Ashley. Hi, Ashley. kind of fast today. I, what, I was trying to do it slow. Okay. It was like poppy. It was kind of like Hi. punchy. Uh, uh, poop. Uh. Hi, <laughs> we were see, cheerleaders. Yeah. Hope that. Remember that? People of the world, spice up your life. Um, we're Spice Girls around in, in your youth, Ashley. There's about just like four or five, eight year difference between, I, I don't know. I mean, they were definitely around. You know my mm-hmm. childhood. I didn't listen to Spice Girls, but they <gasps> were right. around. They were a thing. They were around. <laughs> they still are. Um, Ashley, how are you feeling today? Good. I got my heating pad on, so we're thriving. That's good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, good for yeah. taking care of and listening to your body. I celebrate Thank you. you. So Thank you so much. I received that. Thank you. <laughs> your whom <laughs> says thank you. Um, well, friends, uh, on today's episode, you know, sometimes we have the pleasure of interviewing experts in the field of neonatology, maternal mental health, obstetrics, uh, physical therapy to talk about all things NICU. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing a NICU mom, just like you, a listener, uh, to hear about her story as a NICU parent, um, about CHD. And also it's a doubly special for us because she's a member of our editorial team. It's Kamir. Oh my God. I just said Kamir. Who's Kamir? It's a member of our editorial team, Camille Daisel. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so finally happy to be here and meet with you girls. This has been a long time coming. This has been a long time coming. Yep. We have talked about this episode f- since the conception of the podcast. Um, we have been in love with you since mm-hmm. the moment that we met you. <laughs> um, I think if I'm if I'm remembering right, the first time we met you was a girls' night out event, mm-hmm. was it not? Yeah, and I think you'd only had maybe like six or like five. Like it was pretty yeah. new. Like it was, it was early. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I consider myself an OG. Like, <laughs> oh, you absolutely are an OG. 100%. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you made like a you made like this really beautiful um, TikTok. I don't know if it was TikTok. Did TikTok exist back then? It was some sort of it reel or something TikTok. like that. And it was so beautiful. And you've always been so vibrant and uh, open and vulnerable to share about your experiences as a NICU parent and dealing with medical complexity and mental health. And uh, it's it's just always been an honor to know you. And we were just talking about this. We have got to see you rock so many different types of hairstyles. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that I feel like definitely goes with uh, your seasons of life. <laughs> if you're feeling yes, really good or you're feeling really bad one way or another, your mm-hmm. hair is probably going to, to have a, a nice change. Yep, 100%. I love it. Well, if uh, we have any listeners today tuning into the podcast for the very first time, 
We are in season six of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. We highly encourage you to go back to some of our earlier episodes just to get some more of the amazing mamas and providers that we've had on the podcast. But season six theme is all about growing our families after NICU. So this is a question that gets brought up a lot in our private Facebook group. Um, Some of our most engaged posts on social media are about this topic. And we couldn't think of anybody better to have um, to share about her journey than Camille. Um, she is NICU mama to Owen, and then she courageously was pregnant with Luke. And it's really exciting because uh, we got to be a part of your yep. pregnancy journey, Camille. And I remember you telling us at Girls Night Out that you were expecting Luke. And so it's really fun to uh, just see how much you've grown and how your family has quite literally grown. <laughs> but the ways that you've healed and given back to this community is pretty remarkable. So we are definitely going to have two parts to this episode. So part one is going to be all about Owen's journey and um, how he's doing today. And part two will be all about just kind of coming to that decision of having Having more kids and what it was like to be pregnant again after NICU. So, Camille, let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> when did you find out that you were pregnant with sweet, sweet Owen? I I found out that I was pregnant with Owen. Oh, what's nine months before Dan- January or before December? <laughs> um, I found out pretty soon. Uh, like- September. Yeah, I guess it was September 2018, if I'm doing the math right. Yep, because he was born in 2019. Okay. Um, And I found out and we were super excited. My husband and I had sort of done, you know, the whole we got married, then we got a house, and then we got a dog, and then we had a baby. And so it just (laughs) felt like our life was on a really good trajectory um and so it was really really exciting news to have and um yeah we just we were already so in love with each other and so in love with um our future with this baby I love it and how was your pregnancy overall with Owen um was it considered a quote normal pregnancy was it at ever considered a high-risk pregnancy what was it like so The pregnancy itself was, you know, pretty unremarkable (laughs) compared to uh, uh, our diagnosis and our birth. It was quote unquote normal. I had, you know, just the typical pregnancy symptoms. It was like, oh, this is the worst. I'm so nauseous in like the first trimester. Um, And then there were just a couple times where it was like we were a little worried that my amniotic fluid was too high, but... There was nothing that put me really in a high-risk category personally. It was, oh, and that was high-risk. Um, so, so yeah, it, it was just going the course, the normal, totally normal course, and I was sort of loving and hating every minute of the morning sickness because yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was going to be the worst of it, right? Yeah. I was like, the worst of it is going to be me throwing up, and then the second part is going to be me walking around like a walrus but there were things that happened in between yeah of course and what did you know about the NICU before before Owen's journey did you know anybody who had been in the NICU or had had any complications no one personally I didn't know anyone personally that had NICU experience or any sort of complications with birth I was really also sort of the first one in my my friend group Mm -hmm. to be pregnant and have kids so 
there wasn't a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of references. So even in my family, we're really small and I'm the only granddaughter. So it was, it was just me really as like the only primary experience. So I didn't know anyone. Um, and what I did know of the NICU, it, you know, and my ignorance, it just seemed like it was very reserved for premature babies. I didn't know that it could also include, um, many other sorts of kids with sicknesses. I didn't know there were different levels to it, for instance. Um, so it all, came um really quick I had a crash course and what the NICU would be like yeah and you you alluded to it a little bit that the high risk necessarily wasn't surrounding your body and your experience but more about Owen so when did it take a turn you know was there an appointment where the doctors discovered something or started talking with you about him yeah we we discovered that Owen was going to be a very special pregnancy and a very special child when he was born because at our 20-week anatomy scan, we found out that he had congenital diaphragmatic hernia, um, CDH for short. And it, yeah, that was, it was a term I'd never heard before. We actually, it was crazy because we were going into to find out the gender. Like my husband and I, we can't wait for surprises. Like we needed to know right then. And so we had like all of our family sort of on call and we'd text them and said like, okay, our appointment is coming up. It's only going to be an hour because it's typically what it would be. And then an hour went by, two hours went by, three hours went by and our family still hadn't heard from us. And so I think even they had started to be concerned about what was taking so long. Um, and, uh, we found out just our, our sonographer was really awesome and she was, she was sweet. She told us, you know, that he was a boy first and she joked with us and we talked about things and, oh, look at this, look at his foot. Yeah. There's no denying he's a boy. (laughs) Like he's, he's very open about it. Um, and then, uh, she never got quiet because she'd already known. And so she was ready to prepare us, um, I guess, just by being friendly and happy first, giving us all the good news. Um, And so um, I had asked her, you know, what, what happens if, if things don't look good? Like, what do you typically do? And I didn't expect for her to respond that, well, I do have some bad news for you. So she, she initially had said, you know, um, things, uh, when things don't look great, you know, we, I talk to the doctor and the doctor comes in and, you know, they have a conversation about everything that's going on. And then that's when she led with, so I do have some bad news for you. Um, and she just, she told us she's like, the doctor knows me well enough and knows that I know what I'm doing well enough that I can just go ahead and tell you, you know, his stomach's in his chest. Um, and his intestines are in his chest and, um, yeah, the room got really, really, really quiet, really, really cold, um, Mm -hmm. and even darker pretty fast. So it was life-changing definitely in that moment, 20 weeks. So I say like, you know, I've been having like Owen's three now, 
but it feels like I've been going through stuff for four years because mm-hmm. I I lost my pregnancy. Like not lost mm-hmm. my pregnancy, but I lost that experience of being pregnant yeah. um, in a traditional way that I had thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, of course. Yeah. And how did you process when that first happened? You were, you, Jacques was with you, right? Um, you were together. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like you said, it was a longer appointment. So assuming the doctor came in and walked you through some things, how were you even digesting mm-hmm. the information? They left me on the table with the jelly still on my stomach. And I just remember how cold it was and then how numb it got. Um, And the sonographer told me, you know, just keep it on because the doctor is probably going to want to come in and and check it out herself. Um, My husband, I think, Jock, I think he knew right away the severity of what we were being told. Um, I, one of my coping (laughs) mechanisms, which super not healthy, but I just kind of dissociate. And so it almost felt like I left my body and Mm -hmm. that want, 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 want that came in from the doctor to kind of tell us what CDH is and here are our options. And, you know, terminating the pregnancy was one of them. So we knew Mm -hmm. just how high risk this situation was um, and that there were other options to do like in in utero, I think is what it's called, um, procedure that would help try and correct the CDH before he he was born to try and give him a better fighting chance. So like you're getting thrown all this information. And I just remember the doctor saying just she put her hand on my knee and she said, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. She's like, before you do anything else, before you leave here today, I just need you to know this is not your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I carry that with me today, especially in times of, um, self-doubt and, um, reflecting on maybe what I could have done differently. I still go back to her kind of holding me as the very first person to tell me it wasn't me. That's so special. So Camille, one thing I would love to know is you had mentioned that you had told family and friends that you were going into this 20 week anatomy scan And, you know, for many of us who've been in that situation where we received um, news that we weren't expecting, it's really difficult to explain it to other people when we're still trying to digest everything that we've just heard. So I'd love to hear from you of, you know, when did you begin to tell family and friends that, okay, things aren't looking like we thought? Um, Was it right away? Did you take a couple days? Um. For my immediate family, you know, so for my in-laws and my mom who was waiting on the other end of that one to two to three hour appointment, obviously we told them right away. Um, Jacques called his parents and I called my mom. My mom's a nurse, so she was – she took the information and went into nurse mode. (laughs) So she started doing her research and – looking through all of her books and um, reaching out to people that she'd known who may have dealt with CDH before. Um, And then for Jacques' family, um, who doesn't have any sort of medical experience, 
we we just gave them a link to CDH. Um, I think it was Chop. Chop does a really good job with with CDH patients, and we sent them a link and it had a video, and that was just the easiest way for us to share the news with them because we weren't in the right place to explain everything. We were learning everything ourselves. Um, so it would be a very, very, very long time before I could speak about what CDH is and what our experience was like, um, especially just because at that time we didn't know what his birth was going to be like. And we got that a lot. We just don't know until he's born. Yeah. Um for other friends and other family members, we waited a really, really long time. I think some of my coworkers figured out that something was going on because I was excited to share my pregnancy journey with them, especially for uh, uh, people who were thinking of getting pregnant or wanted to get pregnant. All of a sudden, I just, I became a recluse and I didn't talk about it anymore. Um so it was, it was a long time after that. I think, gosh, I don't know, like another two, two months mm-hmm. um, before we actually sat down and said, hey, y'all, this is what's going on. And we really need some prayers and some just privacy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And what did, what did your care look like? I assume there were even though there wasn't a lot that you could do, I assume there was more monitoring than you had anticipated going into that second half of your, of your pregnancy. Yeah. The monitoring came more, more towards the end of the pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, around like seven, eight months we did. And that was just to, oh, we did a lot of echoes, <laughs> a lot, a lot of echoes, mm-hmm. uh, because severe pulmonary hypertension was one of the, the really high risks of mm-hmm. CDH. And so we did a lot of monitoring of his heart, making sure that his heart was still functioning and firing off on all cylinders. Um, and then we did an MRI, which was insane, <laughs> being yeah. eight months pregnant with a huge oh belly, um, sitting in this MRI for an hour. Uh, oh, my God. How it uncomfortable. Was, yeah, oh, it was intense. Shit. Yeah. I listened to the shins that Alisa gave me some headphones yeah. and they're like, what do you want to listen to? And I was like, uh, the shins radio. So <laughs> it was, that was nice. Um, but that's sort of what the monitoring looked like. It was monitoring him. Um, not so much me, sure, but, but just him and really like the only other preparation we could do was research CDH, research where we wanted to deliver Mm-hmm. do sort of a uh this is best case scenario this is second case, best case scenario um mm-hmm. as far as where we wanted to to give birth so we took we chose texas children's hospital did all their research met with them met with the team fell in love with them got up with the ronald mcdonald house so i was just very as i was trying to plan out as best i could what giving birth was going to look like and give him the best odds um, because I was completely out of control with what was actually going on with him. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and I know we've talked about this a little bit before Camille, but you know, the term like CHD is a little bit more commonplace or like maybe more familiar. 
mm-hmm. but CDH is isn't. So mm-hmm. when you were doing your research, did you find that it was challenging to find a lot of information about it, or you know, how was your experience of just researching it prior to his delivery? Mm, I could definitely find information about CDH. What was challenging was finding people's experience with it. So, of course, we could find all the the medical information, and I understood what it was. I was like, okay, his diaphragm wasn't completed. I get it. Sure, sure. Um, but I didn't – there's no way when you're researching to find out what your own child's odds are actually going to be when they're yeah. born. Yeah. And that was really, really hard because mm-hmm. that's what we were left with wondering right. was um, – was he going to survive? How long was he going to be in the NICU? What was it going to look like if he came home? Mm-hmm. There's so many unknowns when it comes to CDH that, you know, to this day, I sometimes am left wondering, um, is this thing that's going on with him? Is that because of CDH? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, is he going to reherniate at some point? Um, so doing the research for it, I could find, but and then we started joining Facebook groups mm-hmm. uh, for support around CDH, and those people could share their experiences. But that was really hard because there was a lot of survival stories and you know a lot of non-survival stories. And that was really, really mm-hmm. difficult when um, we were getting so close to our due date. Right. So yeah. yeah, yeah. There is there was so much uncertainty with your pregnancy and it sounds like you were really tactical in terms of, right, this is what I can do. So this is what I will do. But how did you manage or, or mitigate the stress and the, the mental health pressures that you were experiencing? Hmm. Hmm. And if you did it, that's okay. Cause you know, I didn't either. So, well, yeah, no, but I think, I think, though the way that I managed it was by throwing myself into everything, um, into the research, into uh, finding our care. You know, I work in HR, so I'm like, how much leave do I have left? What are these resources that I could be? I'm writing to my state senator now. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Why is, why don't we get more than, you know, 12 weeks of maternity yeah especially knowing that you your delivery and postpartum period would most Mm. definitely be very complex oh yeah absolutely so I think that's that's just what I did I just tried to throw myself into everything um to prepare for him there really wasn't a lot of room for my mental health I wouldn't honestly say until like two years after he was born. And then it seemed like it was time to to focus on me. But like I said, for the first three years, because I include that pregnancy piece, mm-hmm. um, it was all about him and and trying to give him the best fighting chance. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense too. And in a way that is taking care of, you know what I mean? Surviving is... Um, Mm -hmm. was what you could do. And that's absolutely what your body needed to do. You know, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So because the medical team then knew that a lot of this would be determined or like, you know, what kind of care he would need after he was born would be determined after delivery. 
was the NICU something that they talked with you about? Did they give you like a tour prior? I mean, what was kind of your introduction to the NICU? Yes, I was given a tour of the NICU. We were sort of given a crash course on what was going to happen after Owen was born. Texas Children's was amazing in doing this. And I think it's because they didn't want us to have any sort of hospital, like administrative surprises because CDH babies themselves are surprises. Mm -hmm. So they, they also just wanted to make sure that we knew what was going to happen at the hospital with the staff. Um, So they, they walked us through everything from, you know, you're, we're going to induce you at 39 weeks, which is a whole other story. Um, And then there was going to be about 20 people in the delivery room, not for me, for Owen. Um, And there's like this huge spaceship. That's what they called it, which is this huge machine. That's essentially life support. Um, He was going to be intubated right away, wouldn't get to see him, wouldn't get to hold him. They prepared me for all of those things, Um, which didn't make it easier at all, but at least I knew. Um, And so they told me all of this. They they walked us through uh, the level four NICU. They told us he's going to be in level four, you know, other... CDH kids had a very specialized sort of care Mm -hmm. in that they had a team with them from the moment they're born to the moment they're discharged. That's not always the case, I guess. Um, But they were given a number or they were given a color. And so he was the orange team. And so he had the same doctors and nurses for his entire NICU journey, his entire stay there. Um, And so that was comforting I didn't have to worry about getting to know a new nurse or a new doctor or having to explain it all over again because you know how that can be, having to explain the same diagnosis again and again. They already knew it and they knew what to do with him. So I didn't have to worry about that. So they did a really good job at trying to prepare us as parents as best they could given the circumstance, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So – it sounds like you were aiming for a 39-week induction. Is that what happened? Yes. <laughs> we, <laughs> we got to 39 weeks um, and 26 hours of labor uh, where Owen would not let me lay on my left side. I stuck to my right side uh, or else his heart, you know, his heart rate would drop. So 26 hours on the same side, the – Care, again, that was like I received was definitely not the top level of care that he would receive, um, which is it's fine because I would do I would do it all over again to put him back to where he was. But it ended up with an emergency C-section. I they they popped my water like my water broke. They did it. And then I was still like I was still going through the whole process for like another 16 hours. So I was turning septic. Um, mm-hmm. So they finally whisked me off to the emergency C-section operating room. Um, and we went from there. It was a whirlwind. <sighs> yeah. 
So, I mean, after 26 hours, that's exhausting. Did you, were you awake during C-section? I was. with you? Okay. He was. Yeah. Yeah, So I was awake during the C-section. Jock was right there with me. I had a really great anesthesiologist um, who she was, she was really good at making sure like I was still present. And so I remember the moment that Owen was born and I looked at Jock and I was like, he's here because I could feel that relief. Um, And then they took Owen over to go do his thing to get intubated and, and all that stuff. And then they came to Jacques and they're like, dad, it's time to go. And I guess I was squeezing Jacques's hand. Like I, I remember thinking like, okay, go, like, like, like go with him, like leave. Um, but I guess I was sque- squeezing his hand so tight that Jacques looked at the anesthesiologist and she's like, don't worry, I'm going to knock her out. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> she did. <laughs> um, so I was present up until that moment. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know, I was at a carnival. It was like Dumbo. It was terrifying. But oh at least I was knocked out. <laughs> oh, man. I think that just so – it just depicts, too, just like how our partners feel so torn in that moment because, mm-hmm. of course, as moms, and we're like, go to the baby. But yeah. yet we also, like, want them, and they want to be in both places at one time. And it's kind of like that hand grip is kind of like the perfect illustration of, like, them being torn in two places, their two worlds now being torn in two places. And so your sweet, sweet husband. Yeah. <laughs> A gem. Yeah. Um, that was that was hard for sure. So Owen is born. The moment that is just you guys have been literally waiting for this whole pregnancy because it's a determining factor for so many different things of his life. You know, when was the first time that you you met Owen and how was he doing when you met him? Okay, y'all are going to get so mad at why I didn't get to see him when I wanted to. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, I didn't get to see him for the first 24 hours. Um, And it's because... uh, I wouldn't pee. Like, it seems so stupid. But I had – sorry, I don't know if I can say stupid, but it was. But, like, I had, like, I had a catheter. And so they were trying to make me go to the bathroom. And I couldn't go. And I promise it's because I was so freaking stressed, right? Like, I just want to go see my kid. I just went through this, like, traumatic experience to go into another traumatic experience. Like, I cannot pee right now. And, like, this nurse was like, well, you can't – like, we can't let you go anywhere. I was like, just give me the straight catheter. Like, just let me go. So finally, they're like, okay. Like, my mom, you know, my little, like, nurse nurse pit bull. Yeah. Yeah. She, like – oh, the amount of times, like, she, like, followed a nurse outside the door to go and, like, have a word with them was a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But um, needless to say, I was fine. And then I went to go and see him for the first time. Um, and, um, he was stable. He was sleeping. Now, of course he had way more drugs than I have ever had in his system. I think more than most people. Um, and he was so small, but he was so puffy. I remember that. Um, and, when I think back on it, it just, it feels so quiet. Like, obviously it wasn't quiet, you know, like, you know, the sound of the NICU and all the monitors going off and people talking and 
just it's such a such a loud and noisy place Mm -hmm. but when I think about it and I think about my time with him in that very dark room um it just felt so quiet Mm -hmm. um so it was it was really really hard like I'm not gonna lie like it was it wasn't a beautiful moment to me it wasn't a relief it was just very sort of dissociating like I I was there but I wasn't there um I was happy that you know he'd made it and you know he was getting the treatment that he needed but I didn't know what to do like I was stuck I didn't know what else I could do um because he wasn't he wasn't inside my stomach anymore Mm -hmm. um he was sort of on his own and he was going to have to fight on his own and he was going to have to, you know, fight with the doctors and, you know, fight with God. So it was just a very isolating experience to be left alone in this quiet room with, um, your baby who's on, on basically on life support. It wasn't ECMO, but you know, um, yeah. And I mean, where, when you came in and you met him for the first time, what did you know about his condition? Right. Cause, um, with CDH, there's such a wide range of possibilities, right. For his status. Mm-hmm. Um, how was that explained to you? It was explained the way that it was before he was born. So they had sort of predicted how he would be. They predicted he would have severe pulmonary hypertension it was confirmed he did um they they weren't sure how long his journey in the NICU would be um it was hard for them to gauge uh because he still needed to have his repair surgery so that was the big part was Mm -hmm. we needed to get past the surgery that he needed to have to move his stomach back down his intestines back down and close up his diaphragm and then that would have given us a better idea to see his lung growth, see how much lung he had, and um, how his heart and his lung, lungs would function. Um, so I didn't know much. I I didn't know what to ask either. Yeah. Um, so that was hard. I didn't know what to ask, and I didn't quite understand what I was being told. I mean, incredibly overwhelming because you're you were also septic too. Um, hey, <laughs> sepsis twins, cute. <laughs> um, but it's that is also a very con- a severe critical place for you to be, and it takes a while for your body to beat that infection and be well. So yeah. I imagine that was also hard because you were also healing and not feeling yourself at all. Well, it's. It's crazy because we're going to talk about, you know, Luke later. But when I compare the two pregnancies with Owen, I was in a wheelchair for about two weeks. And so they would literally, my husband would just roll me up to the NICU and then I would roll right next to his bed. Yep. And that's that's how it was because it did take me so much longer to heal. And then with Luke, I also had an emergency C-section. I was walking the same day. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have, it's just, so, I think. So many similarities, Camille. That's so crazy. We had to yeah. rent a wheelchair because I was like, I cannot move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so, so, yeah, yeah, it's wild. 
it's mm-hmm. wild it's it's something (laughs) but I think just like your body takes so much time to heal but Mm -hmm. that coupled with the traumatic like the trauma of your child being in the NICU Mm -hmm. just takes so much longer oh Mm -hmm. and then the frustration too of like now I have to wait for someone to push me up and then (laughs) don't design hand washing stations for people who have to operate wheelchairs and all that stuff too it's it's it adds a layer to a frustration um to like I need to heal so that I can be there for my baby um yeah. Yeah. And the, the surgery, how quickly, how soon after his delivery were they able to do the surgery or talk about it even? We were in the hospital over Christmas. So over the holidays. Uh, so Owen was born on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. Um, he should have had his procedure on the 25th, mm-hmm. but it was Christmas. So it was postponed until the 26th. Um, so he was four days old. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, he was four days old and he had bedside surgery. And it's crazy because they close off the NICU and you guys might have experience with that, but they, they, they close off the entire NICU, um, which is so like also just like having the NICU closed and then being a parent and not being able to access your kid is mm-hmm. so challenging and so almost debilitating with like anxiety. So when Owen had his NICU station closed off and then another kid would have a NICU station closed off later, I sort of realized like the severity, like it's okay. Like Owen's going to be fine. You know, the, the parents of this other kid that's closing off the NICU, like they just, they need, they need this. Um, So I don't know. That was just something that I just thought about. Um, But yeah, so he had bedside surgery, closed off the NICU and then about five hours later I think they came out of it um, and I was still in the hospital because I was still recovering um, and our doctor Dr. Vogel he came directly to my room actually like he came to my hospital room um, and sat with me and let us know how Owen did and said he was a total rock star he gave him no complications um, and he was really really excited that uh, his diaphragm, like he had enough diaphragm to close organically and not with any sort of mesh, which mm-hmm. is sometimes what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was really, really excited about that. And yeah, so it was very successful and we were very, very fortunate in that. So after his surgery then, did that kind of set the tone for the rest of your NICU stay with him? Did he have any other surgeries or triumphs and setbacks that kind of determined how his NICU stay was? It did set the tone. Um, he he was a rock star throughout it. He really surprised everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, he surprised all of the doctors and all the nurses by just how well he was doing. Of course, in the NICU with these kids it's always one step forward two step back and it's kind of a dance that we do for a while uh but finally he just kept he just kept fighting he was fighting so hard he you know was extubated extubated um (laughs) and then he was put on a CPAP and then he moved to room air like he they didn't do a nasal cannula or anything he just moved straight to room air and he did really good And then he still had his NG tube in. We were about to go home with an NG tube and get, 
you know, the sort of lowdown on how that was going to go at home, but he ripped it out. <laughs> and we were like, okay, well, let's just see how he feeds. And he did okay. So they're like, you know, he's going to be, he's going to feed a little better when he comes home. So why don't we just keep it out and see how he does? Um, so yeah, of course there's always hiccups, but he still, he still came home, which was the end goal. Yeah. Right. And so how long was his NICU stay in total then? It was 23 days. Wow. That's a lot to so, in 23 days. Yeah, seriously. Oh, my gosh. I know. <laughs> yeah, they like, you know, when they're preparing us for everything, they're like, you know, six to eight weeks at minimum. That's kind of typical for CDHers. Um, but then he was like gone a little over three weeks. So he was absolutely amazing and they were they were so happy for him. That's amazing. What a little rock star. That is remarkable. It's like a major life surgery. And then yeah. Like, All right, mom, dad, let's go home. You're like, what? I know. Really? Now let's go drive you nuts at home during a pandemic. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like also kind of, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a positive outcome for the surgery and for his, his complications and his conditions. Um, but kind of whiplash for you guys too, because your mind, it's almost like Dr. Strange in the multiverse, right? You kind of live all of these different experiences, you project and kind of see to the end, all the different possibilities. And then you get yeah. to one, um, you know, he does so beautifully and fights so hard through the ups and downs of the NICU. Um, but then you and Jock are kind of like still like holding on to each other. Like, what do we just do? You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's crazy just because, I mean, I talk about it all the time is there's no, no one prepares you for life after the NICU. You know, like those moments when you get home, especially after going through this trauma and bringing home a complex kid. And so it never – it was it was just like we hopped onto another train, like, mm -hmm. when we got home. So we're, like, on this bullet train going through the pregnancy. And then we're on this other bullet train going through the hospital stay and the surgery. And then we're on this other bullet train when you come home. And you're like, oh, my gosh, why is he screaming? He's going to re-herniate. What about his pulmonary mm -hmm. hypertension? Is his heart going to blow up? Like, why are we yelling at each other? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's – yeah, it's definitely a wild, wild ride with many different, uh, just many different endings to each chapter. I'm not sure how to how to explain that part. Yeah. Well, and you kind of mentioned earlier that you said you didn't really begin to like process and heal from your journey like two years later. Mm -hmm. So can we chat a little bit about, you know, what it was like when you first came home and you know, when you felt safe enough to really begin to process everything that you'd had gone through? Hmm. Uh, when we came home, we, we were already very familiar with the word quarantine. It was sort of hammered into us in the NICU. Our doctors and our nurses kept saying, you know, when you go home, you really need to quarantine. You need to make sure if you have any visitors, they're washing their hands, sanitizing. So we actually went out and we bought a hand pump. And we like had hand pumps all over our house. <laughs> That's so cute. And we weren't even having like visitors come over, right? right. And then yeah. 
like a month later, the pandemic hits. And so like we could have sold that hand soap like on black market. Like it was (laughs) like we were the only ones who had this. Um, So we were already so familiar with like the word quarantine and and then it happened in real life for everyone. And so it it might sound terrible to someone who didn't go through this, but maybe y'all would understand it, is it was almost a bit of a relief mm-hmm. to not have an ex- like to not have to tell someone why they can't come over. Yep. It was yep. like, oh, no one can come over because yeah. COVID is a thing yeah. and that's dangerous for everyone. But I didn't have to explain to someone CDH is this and, right. you know, germs can do this to him and we don't want to go back to the hospital. We don't want to go through all this again because yeah. not everyone gets it or maybe that don't get it, but they just, it's too personal. When you tell someone they can't come over, that's personal, even if it's not, it's mm-hmm. just taken personally. Yep. Um. So I will say that the first year, and then I say like the first two years was extremely challenging. I had severe postpartum depression at one point you know my psychiatrist was like you I am this close to committing you (laughs) because I was so depressed and I was so anxious and there were times where I wouldn't get out of bed for four days and so Jacques had to take care of everything um I was not myself I'm not the you know bubbly cherry person that y'all called out in the beginning of the podcast like it um it was just a very different version of myself. And there was one point where I didn't think I would ever drive again. Like I could not get in the car without having a meltdown and just crying hysterically. So I didn't think I was ever going to drive again. And then maybe a year and a half later, I started to open up a little bit more. We started going to the parks. I think that's where we started. We needed fresh air. So we started going out to the parks and we socially distanced going to the grocery store. Um, and then it sort of just turned into this isn't about me anymore and my anxiety and my depression. This is really about Owen and what he needs to thrive in this yeah. world um, and taking taking a note from him, like letting him lead us for what he needed and what he wanted. So if he wanted to be more engaged with what was going on outside, okay, well, let's let's find ways for him to go do that. Um, so he's just taught me so much and he sort of led me in my own healing just by showing me that he can thrive hmm. without me having to keep him in the house and keep him with me all the time. You know, he get he can experience these things that I was so, so scared of and he can be okay. And so that just sort of opened the door to more and more experiences for him and for us. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that so vulnerably, Camille. I think it's kind of scary to say these things out loud for us or we're condi- yeah. <laughs> conditioned to like, um, and it's it's a really awful feeling when um, you have what you imagine your heart's desire to be, which to have your the baby that you really fought really hard for home, but then to mm-hmm. um, to have your mind respond in a way that is 
um, the, the opposite of what you would imagine. Um, although we do yeah. know that it makes a lot of sense. You had been through quite yeah. a lot, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So even to share that, um, you know, maybe in-person, inpatient care was something that was maybe considered for you too. It's, there is sometimes so much shame and stigma around it, but the reality as, of it is that you carried the burden of two lives pretty, pretty um, courageously for many years, right? And then um, navigated a global pandemic, the panorama, <laughs> as we call it. Yeah. Uh, like a month later, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the fact that you navigated it and um, are still here standing today is only a testament to your strength and not not any bit of weakness, right? Um, mm-hmm. I remember thinking that about you when I first met you too, because I think um, knowing now, even then, you were you were suffering quite a lot, but the way you presented yourself was with such... Um, transparency and uh i know that the what you share today is going to make all the difference for somebody else going through it right now Mm -hmm. oh thanks for saying that i um no i really appreciate it i uh i don't know i think i i didn't realize how how bad pt or how bad ptsd but postpartum depression was i didn't know anger was a part of it yeah um and so I felt very alone in it and then I discovered y'all and there were other moms who were going through similar experiences but they you know for rightful reasons they were anonymous they were scared to talk about it so I thought maybe if I put my face to it it's not so scary to talk about um -hmm. at least that's just at least that's the reason that I I put my face out there (laughs) like just so you know this is what it looks like (laughs) (laughs) oh thanks girl (laughs) Well, and I remember too, because we had the chance to get to know you so well through the girls' night outs, you know, like, I feel like we were so fortunate with the moms like you who first joined this community because it set the tone for everything. Like Aww. the way that you were vulnerable, the way that team members like that are like that are now team members like Vilma were vulnerable, <laughs> truly made other moms feel like they could be. And so I really attribute like your guys's vulnerability to the to the beautiful sisterhood that we have today because it created a safe space. Mm-hmm. And so I will be forever grateful that we got the chance to get to be a part of those moments because it changed everything for this community. So we talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, stop, y'all. Like there wouldn't be this community of women if it wasn't for y'all. Like but Seriously, you guys are what make it special, truly. We're just the authors that filled Thank out the you. paperwork. That's all that it was. But I think <laughs> y'all do the hard work. <laughs> we just like share our stories and sob. I think, I think the cool thing too, I, I'm sure if you follow Dear Nikki Mama on social media, Camille has been behind some incredible um pieces of writing, but also some really fun. I know it sounds weird to say fun, <laughs> but some really delightful um and poignant and lovely reels and videos um about mental health and intrusive thoughts and um in such a real way but also in a way that um feels light because like adding that bit of levity to it makes it less scary too and I've always admired that about you too um 
I feel like it's so funny. Anytime we do a live event or something, you always are posting things in the chat that make me laugh out loud and distract <laughs> me from like the teleprompter and stuff. But um, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm, I'm. What do you call those people? The in a comedy show, I'm a hackler. Heckler. Oh, a hackler. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> you can heckle me any day. I would love that. <laughs> you can take it. Well, before we get to the very closing question, can you tell us a little bit about how Owen is thriving today? How mm-hmm. How is he doing? Such a little miracle boy in his Spider-Man costumes. He's so funny. Oh my gosh, too. I know. He still wears his Spider-Man costumes, and we got that in the beginning of October, y'all. Like, oh my gosh. And he wears it at least four times a week. Like, I at, love he, it. he doesn't wear it to school. Like, he doesn't wear it to daycare because he's, you know, he's proper like that, apparently. But... Yeah. Okay. That's a side note, but he's, he's amazing. I am so proud of him and I love seeing him grow and thrive and just like become his own person. Um, and just his own little personality. He's a Capricorn. He's like me. I mean, my birthday is December 27th. So <laughs> we are both Capricorns and I can, I can see that cause he likes to have things a little bit in order. Um, <laughs> But he's just so much fun, and you know he we've we've had our challenges as far as you know current respiratory uh, infections, yeah. especially um, was it? I guess last year uh, we had a stint in the hospital because he had RSV and pneumonia. Um, but it's sort of we're really lucky to have an outpatient team um, for CDH, and they're actually the same people who. We're there for him in the hospital. So we have the same pulmonologist and we have the, C- the same CDH nurse who follows him every six months. Um, and so it's great because if anything does ever come up, we can talk about it and we can brainstorm together. And they never shut me down as a mom who's concerned about this, you know, his finger looks funny. Or that's not ever come up. But like they would they would be like, okay, can you like, let's look at this. Um, but, you know, it, it came up recently that he he's aspirating and so that's a huge huge big scary word especially in the NICU that's one of the sort of things they again they hammer into your head you know check check for signs of aspirating bring him immediately to the hospital um but he was silently aspirating and we found that out through a swallow study Mm -hmm. and then an endoscopy or triple scope Mm -hmm. um they found out he had like this laryngeal cleft and they closed it, and we just had another swallow study, and he is not aspirating. Yay! Um, yay. I know. So um, we're in speech therapy. He has asthma, but, I mean, all in all, like, he's a totally just a, a kid. Like, you would never yeah. know his history. You would never know that, you know, he was fighting for his life at some point. Yeah. Um but I think it's just the fact that he did is such a testament to who he is now mm-hmm. um, and just how strong he is and how brave he is. He loves the doctors. Oh, my gosh. Jock had a cut the other day and he was like, Daddy, you have a cut. I'll go get a Band-Aid. And like he like oh, ran so as fast as Spider-Man to the other room to go get a Band-Aid. <laughs> as fast as Spider-Man. Um, so, yeah. So he's he's doing really, really, really great. Um, so thank you for asking. <laughs> 
Oh, girl. It's so fun to see him thriving and oh see God. you thriving as a family. And yeah. Thank you. You guys make, like, everyday ordinary things feel, like, so special. And, like, I just want to so go spend fun. a day in your house and just, like, be a part of the party. <laughs> My God. Yeah. Please do. Like, it's, <laughs> yes, it's quiet out here in the country. We have some cows. Oh, oh my gosh. So you guys can. Well, we're going to get chickens, too. So I, oh, it'll oh, get busy. His dream. Oh, God, I want silky chickens so bad. <laughs> I do, too. Oh, they're so cute. Everybody Google silky chickens right now. And I want to name them after the Supreme Court justices. Oh, that would. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> You'd be like. That would be really justice good. Justice Sonia Sotomayor, come here. You know what I mean? Like, throw it up. I don't know something about Somebody that. I, I get anyway. Uh, that's so wonderful. That's and your your little babies are so like cherubic. I don't know if that's how you pronounce oh. it, but they're just something about their chins just is oh, like, yeah. so cute. Gosh darn it! <laughs> oh, thank you. I like their chins too. It's, they're so freaking cute. <laughs> they're good brothers. They're really really great brothers. I'm yeah. I'm proud of them. Owen's a really good brother too. So. Mm. So well, I'm excited to hear more about that in part two <laughs> of your story. Uh, as a way to kind of close out, we always like to ask our moms kind of what words of encouragement or hope they would leave to Nikki moms listening. So um, kind of looking at your story, I'd love to know, like, what's a word of hope or encouragement that you would give to a Nikki mom who's also in that high risk pregnancy, just kind of waiting period. You're just kind of waiting it out, writing it out. You know, what words of hope would you offer them? I think something I would tell moms who are in the waiting period after, you know, maybe finding out that their child is, has a genetic something or, you know, they're, they're, like you said, they're just in that waiting period of, of giving birth. I, I would say to trust your instinct. Um, I don't know, like just to trust your instinct and your feelings and know that they're validated. Like, don't forget that yes, in this time, everything is about baby and making sure everything goes smoothly for baby. Um, And it's so, so scary because the doctors and everybody is consumed by your child and so are you, but don't forget to give yourself some grace and to trust yourself that you can make the right decisions and that you did everything that you could um, and that it's okay to be scared and to, um, to feel things because I know for me, I, I just felt so dissociated that I didn't want to feel anything, but it's totally okay to feel things. Um, it'll, I hate saying it'll be okay, but it will, you know? Beautiful. Well, Camille, we love you so much. You are such a gift to this community. It truly has been a joy to know you for these years now and see Owen grow up and see the ways that you are flourishing and thriving today. And we will definitely be back for part two to hear about pregnancy after NICU and uh, what it was like to kind of be in that pause and wait again after uh, after your experience. And so we're very excited for part two. 
But um, to all of our Naked moms listening, we just like always want to thank you for being here and a part of this community and for holding space for all of these remarkable stories and mothers. It truly is such a gift and a joy to do this with all of you. And um, if you hear one thing today, we uh, hope that we can be like the sonographer. Is that right? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I I already asked them before I recorded this if that was the right term. Um, But that we can be uh, who the sonographer was to Camille and just look at you and tell you that this is not your fault. That everything that your baby endured uh, was not your fault. In fact, um, you, no matter the circumstances, no matter what you faced, uh, you stood up every single day or wheeled into that NICU room with courage and immense amount of bravery. And so we love you all. We are so grateful for this community and this sisterhood. Camille, thank you so much for sharing your story so vulnerably. We can't wait to be back for part two, but mamas have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.